0: Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now, here's the sermon. Hey, good morning. It's good to see everybody again. Thank you for having me back. So as uh, Harry said, I, I wear several different hats during the week. So uh, some days I'm over at Timothy Christian teaching high school senior Bible. Uh, other days uh, I am doing things for my college ministry, Rasho Christi, which Harry invited me to speak a little about today uh, before I get into the sermon. And then I'm also uh, a little over, well, really right at the beginning of the pandemic, I planted a little tiny church. So right now we're a little house church in Edison. So if anybody knows anybody in Edison looking for something very small and personal, uh, give them my information, send them my way. Uh, But my ministry at at Rutgers, just to tell you a little about that, uh, really starts with my experience in college. I was actually an atheist in college and I took a Bible class and I took a Bible class because I was a literature major and I found the Bible very interesting. I just didn't believe it was the word of God. Um, And the class was taught by a pretty hardcore skeptic and he just ripped the Bible apart. And I remember even as an atheist sitting there thinking like, this is very one-sided. I'm pretty sure like Christians have some responses to this stuff that he's saying. And he would, I mean, he said Genesis 1 was taken from four different pagan sources and all mashed together. Uh, There's contradictions everywhere uh, that we can't be sure who wrote the New Testament. And it's been changed again and again and again. So fast forward to my early 30s. The Holy Spirit brings me to Christ, but those those questions are still there. And just by God's good grace, I stumbled across a book that that addressed almost everything I heard in this class from a Christian perspective. And I found uh, very early in my walk with Christ a lot of confidence to believe in what the New Testament says, and then eventually what the rest of the Bible says as well. But um, that's really my main motivation for this ministry at Rutgers. It's called Ratio Christi, and it's, a, it's an apologetics-based ministry. And that word just means it's a, a ministry that defends the faith. Uh, that we teach the, the students good logical reasons to trust the Bible and to believe in God. Uh, so that's, that's a bit of a passion of mine. And uh, like I said, I wear several hats during the day, but this is one of the main things I do. Uh, Eric, who's part of your congregation, he's up there today, he's part of Rasho Christi. He was a student at Rutgers and then he graduated and we didn't want to let him go. So we we made him an intern. We dragged him in and made him an intern. So he he does a lot of our online stuff for us. Uh, But if you want a, a testimony about the ministry, talk to Eric. Uh, but let me just wrap up. I, I don't want to take up a lot of time on this, but I am a supported missionary, uh, so I could really use your prayers. Uh, first of all, uh, you know, this is a spiritual battle. Uh, we need prayer. So if you, if uh, in the back on the table, there is a, a flyer with just uh, my website, confidenceinchrist.net. Um, it's, you'll learn more about my ministry, but also Rosho Christie. Uh, you can sign up. I send out a monthly newsletter so you can know how you could be praying for us. I also put updates about my other ministries. I'll talk about what we're doing at Timothy, what, um, what I'm doing in the church plant. So for, first of all, you know, the main thing I really need is prayer um, because this is a spiritual battle and New Jersey is pretty hard ground. I think most of you know that. Um, second thing, we could use uh, financial support and help as well as a, a supportive missionary. It's never comfortable asking people for money, but, uh, but this is one way I support my family as well as ministry expenses. And through the website, you could either give a donation or you can sign up for monthly giving. Uh, we, um, I have people giving uh, anywhere from $10 a month to, Like $400 a month. Most people are around $50 a month, but anything helps. So I just appreciate it. And I just ask for your prayers as well. So thanks, Harry, for just letting me share a little of that. And like I said, if anybody wants to talk about it or has any questions, stick around for a while afterwards. But today we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 12. And the thing about teaching, so a big, I was an English teacher for 16 years. A big part of my ministry is teaching in one form or another. And sometimes when you're teaching a very hard biblical passage, and especially Paul's letters, there's a lot of difficult things in Paul's letters. Um, and when we're talking about these more abstract, deep spiritual truths, sometimes as a teacher you need to come up with some illustrations and everyday examples and allusions to help people understand what we're talking about that day. But the good news today is that Paul did the hard work for me. Paul helped me out by giving us this beautiful analogy. Uh, As you heard, 1 Corinthians 12 is Paul's beautiful analogy of the church as a body. And what he's talking about is the diversity that we find in God's body, that the the body of Christ needs this diversity uh, to be balanced. It needs diversity to be healthy, and it needs diversity to be complete. Uh, and, and this balance and healthiness and, and completeness is for the benefit of those in the church. Now, when we talk about diversity, uh, ethnicity, uh, Ethnic diversity is very important. Also, is generational diversity, right? People of different ages and generations. It's important to have that in every church uh, because it benefits those in the church greatly. Uh, And it also, just as importantly, better represents the kingdom of God. Jesus said to go out and spread the gospel to all nations, right? in the book of Revelation, we have this beautiful vision of people of all tribes and tongues surrounding the throne of God and worship as one. Right? So when we have a, a diversity, uh, ethnic and generational diversity, we better represent the kingdom of God. But the thing is, is Paul is not talking specifically about that diversity in this passage. What he's talking about is our individual giftings. And this is one of the passages in the New Testament that uh, people often refer to when they're talking about the spiritual gifts. And God has given all of his children gifts, right? He's given us talents. He's given us skills. I would say he's even given us passions. And those influence what we do, right? So our gifts influence what we do as individuals as well as what we do as a church. And and this has a big effect on how we function as the body of Christ. So starting in verse 4, notice what he he writes. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So notice he he, he mentions gifts, right? Things we have given to us through the Holy Spirit. But then he also mentions service and activities, right? Things we do. So God gives us these gifts and that leads to what we do. Verse seven, each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For the one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each to each one individually as he will, so we see diversity with unity right and this um, These spiritual gifts that he mentions here and later in 1 Corinthians 12. If we turn to Romans 12, we also find some other spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4 mentions some. Now, I could be wrong here, so you're free to reject this. Um, But I think, I I don't know if these lists are complete. I don't know if these are meant to be all the spiritual gifts. Um, I, I believe there's probably more maybe that just weren't mentioned. So, for example, prayer. As Christians, we should all be in prayer, right? We're told to pray without ceasing. But there just seems to be people that just have this gift of prayer, right? They're constantly praying in the spirit. They're constantly encouraging others to pray. They're constantly in prayer for their church. And it just seems to me there is a spiritual gift of prayer that certain people have. Uh, Another one that's dear to my heart is that has to do with apologetics it just seems to me there's certain people that are able to just give a very logical reason for their faith they're able to really think out the hard questions about their faith and give very compelling answers and it just seems to me that's a spiritual gifting from the spirit but again i could be wrong there so feel free to reject that and some people try to put all these different uh, spiritual gifts that are mentioned in scripture into categories uh, but I'll just say, it appears to me there's at least two really big categories. There's the more miraculous, so that would include like healings and speaking in tongues and miracles. And then the more everyday, like teaching and service and giving. But here's the thing. They all serve the same primary purpose. The same primary purpose. So uh, theologian uh, Thomas Schreiner says this about the spiritual gifts. He says, he, he defines them this way, gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. And Sam Storms, uh, another theologian and pastor, he describes uh, spiritual gifts like this. Uh, as he says, the primary purpose of all the spiritual gifts, both the more miraculous and the somewhat mundane, mundane is to build up the body of Christ. Right? So no matter what spiritual gift it is, The main purpose is to build up the body of Christ. Now, some churches, there's a lot of discussion about the spiritual gifts. So when I came to Christ, the church I was in, I actually took a class on the spiritual gifts where we learned about all the different spiritual gifts. And then we took this long survey that was supposed to help you figure out what spiritual gifts you might have. Has anybody ever taken one of those surveys? Yeah, a few of you, right? Um, So some churches get very, you know, into like helping you discover your spiritual gifts. Um, There's also a lot of discussion in churches, what's the exact nature of each of these gifts? Like, what do they look like? How do we use them? And then there's uh, even bigger uh, discussion, and I would say debate, which we're not going to get into. It's a can of worms we're not going to open, is about whether some of these gifts are still for today. So some people believe that some of the more miraculous gifts have uh, ceased, that they're only uh, during the time of the apostles. Uh, So there's a lot of debate and discussion about the nature of prophecy today and speaking in tongues and things like that. But like I said, that's a can of worms I'm not even going to touch today. So here's a question, though. Where do these spiritual gifts come from? Based on God's word, it comes from God, right? More specifically, the Holy Spirit. Now, who has them? Well, we can answer that with another question. Who has the Holy Spirit? All saved believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit. And therefore, all saved believers in Jesus Christ have spiritual gifts. And Paul writes this in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So if you're a saved believer in Christ, you're a part of the body, right? Pretty common sense, right? So a so foot can't say, I'm not part of the body. That, that just doesn't make any sense, right? If you're in Christ, you're in the body. And diversity is an essential characteristic of the body. Now, who created this diversity? The verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 clearly tells us God created that, right? So the diversity we see in church among us, that is God created, right? Which means that is good. That is God ordained. That is holy and sacred, right? It is good. It is God ordained. It is sacred and holy. Verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So I love this. Paul asks, if we're all the same part, What would that mean for the body? I'll tell you what that would mean. That would mean the body is a mutant freak. The body would be a mutant freak if we're all the same part. Without diversity, if there's one thing you remember from the sermon today, it's probably the oddest statement I'm going to make. Without diversity, the body is a mutant freak. So picture this. Picture you're on vacation. Sunday morning, you want to go visit a church. And you walk in and it's just a bunch of eyeballs in the pews. And they all just turn and look at you, right? That would, that would be creepy. That's like horror movie stuff, right? Or, or what if you walked in it was just one big eye, right? That's, that's horrifying. This is, this is scary stuff, right? We do not want our church to be a mutant freak. Uh, I grew up, I loved comic books growing up. I loved superhero movies as an adult. Uh, one of my all-time favorite comics was X-Men. Now, the X-Men, what was different about them was, like, it wasn't some accident that gave them their superpowers or they didn't come from space or anything. They're, they're actually mutants. So they had something in their genes mutated and gave them these amazing powers. And I would sometimes jokingly say, like, well, why did they, they mutate and get all these cool powers that help them stop villains? Because, you know, despite what, like, you know, evolution theory tells us, like, most mutations are very bad. They're very bad for a body. So, you know, why didn't any of the X-Men mutate into like a giant elbow? Right? That, that would be pretty useless. Or why wouldn't uh, the X-Men, like, they could mutate into a giant hand? I mean, at least a hand you can kind of walk around like a, a spider or something. But in order for a hand to be useful, it needs to be attached to an arm. In order for the arm to be useful, it needs to be attached to the body. Right? So I think you get the idea. We do not want our church... To be mutant freaks, right? We want that diversity. We want all the diversity the body of Christ has to offer. And think about it if you can't smell, what do we call that? Call that a disability, right? If you can't taste, that's a disability, right? We do not want the body of Christ, right, the church, to be disabled. There was this uh, book that was written, uh, it was an anti-war book written around World War I called Johnny Got His Gun, and they made it into a movie, and it's a pretty old movie. I don't think it's black and white, but it's pretty old. And the way I actually was introduced to it was in high school, because I was really into heavy metal music, and this band, Metallica, actually used some of the movie in their video. Okay, any Metallica fans? Any? All right, we got one, yes. Okay, we got one heavy metal fan. Um, but it's, it's, it's a pretty horrifying concept in this movie and, and this musical video, which essentially a soldier gets blown up by a bomb, and it's just him in a, a hospital bed. He has no arms and legs. His face is covered because it's just mutate, air mutilated, and he can't speak, he can't hear, he can't see. So it's, it's like... Um, Probably most of you are familiar with Helen Keller, right? She was blind and deaf, but it's like that to the extreme. He had no arms and legs. He had absolutely no way to communicate with the outside world. He was just trapped in himself. I remember watching this in high school, just being horrified, like this, this horrible thing to think about. And at one point, uh, the nurses noticed he's just always banging his head against the pillow. And a soldier comes in to visit him one day and check in on him, and he realizes he's doing Morse code. He's trying to communicate through Morse code. Now, if we neglect the diversity that the church has to offer, we're going to have a hard time reaching anybody, right? Um, We're going to end up a disabled body and more likely banging our heads against walls instead of banging our heads against pillows. Now, another problem is this. Sometimes you'll have someone say something like this. Um, I'm a leg, legs are important, so we all need to be legs, right? I'm a a leg, I'm important, we all need to be legs. Now, about two years ago, I tore a meniscus in my knee, right, my meniscus, and I was on crutches for the very first time in, in my life, and I'll admit, I used to look at people on crutches and just not think much of it. Like, it doesn't look that bad, right? Until the first time, actually it was the first time I had to drive to Rutgers, park in the parking lot and walk what felt like five miles to the building and get inside it. Um, Getting around on crutches is hard. So trust me, legs are important, right? I know legs are important. Actually two are very important, right? Um, But the mindset that therefore everyone needs to be a leg That's an issue, right? Because we end up in the same place. If we're all legs, we're a mutant freak, right? Different parts of the body contribute different things to the body for the good of the whole body, right? Different parts of the body contribute different things to the body for the good of the whole body. We all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have blind spots and we all have our sweet spots, right? Legs are important. They bring something to the body nobody else, no other part of the body can. But does that mean we all need to be legs? No, right? But the leg should definitely offer itself to the rest of the body for the good of the body because the leg is needed, right? But the leg also needs the rest of the body. So for the body to function well, it needs diversity, right? Every member is needed. Now, Paul even tells us even the lesser Members, right? Quote unquote, lesser members, right? Those who seem less important. um, Because what may appear to be useless is actually essential in the kingdom of God. Right? Paul says this in verse 21 The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greatest modesty, greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed a body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. There's been so many times I've been walking around my house with my bare feet, and I've smacked my little toes against the edge of furniture so badly. Uh, The one is kind of funny looking now. I'm pretty sure I've sprained that a number of times. I I literally just bought a pair of Crocs just to wear around the house just to protect my feet because I beat them up so badly. And there's been times where I've thought, I wonder if I can just get those surgically removed. Can I just go somewhere and they just surgically remove my little toes? But the thing is, is they actually help you balance? If you look at it, it look it up. The, your little toes are very important to help you balance. What about your appendix? Right. What most of us know about the appendix is that every once in a while it bursts and it'll kill you. Right. So you have to get rushed to the hospital. They got to take it out. And then we notice that once a person has it out, they seem perfectly fine. Right. Um, so the question is, if we're all walking around with this ticking time bomb in us, why not just go get it removed? But again, if you look it up. Uh, The the, the appendix uh, has beneficial bacteria in it uh, for your gut that that help cleanse your intestines. Okay, so what might appear useless is actually there for our good. What may appear useless is valuable to the body of Christ. I I taught English. I think I mentioned that uh, for several years. So I have to say this. All analogies eventually fail. Any analogy you push long enough eventually fails. Uh, So, so because you're ultimately comparing two unlike things, right? So eventually you're going to hit something where you say, well, they're they're different. And if they're exactly alike, they would be the same thing, and then it wouldn't be an analogy, right? So all analogies ultimately fail after a while. Um, So, but someone can throw out this challenge. They could say, Steve but you 're right though the body can still survive without an appendix or your wisdom teeth or one or two little toes, and that 's true right, but I have two things to say to that that is true, but the body is still incomplete right it 's still missing something right so can the body of Christ survive while missing certain parts? Yes, it can survive, but don 't we want to do more than survive don 't we want to thrive right don 't we want everything that the body of Christ has to offer, right? We want the body functioning like a healthy body. And number two is no, the human body is not exactly like the body of Christ because in God's body, in the kingdom of God, those things that the world deems as weak or useless or even unpresentable are actually valuable in the kingdom of God, right? Paul says here in, in in verse or chapter 12, that they're giving greater honor, right? Because the kingdom of God flips the values of the world on its head. Listen to Jesus' words in Mark 10:42 through 45. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And elsewhere, Jesus himself says to Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Right? In God's kingdom, the weak, the powerless have a special place of honor, right? Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. The last will become first. Those who the world cast away as useless, Christ says are indispensable. So much so that he died so they could spend eternity with him. And that even includes the unmentionable parts. Okay, the unmentionable parts. In verse 23, Paul speaks of the body's unpresentable parts. Now I don't think uh, I don't think I have to get into too much detail here, but if I was talking to my kids, I might say your private parts, right? Which we usually don't talk about in polite company. I certainly don't usually talk about that in a sermon, but it's in God's word, so I think we need to talk about it a little, right? So, and, and just so you guys know, I'm still growing a lot in my maturity. So, so many inappropriate jokes came to mind. I was, I was actually thinking of maybe bringing a few of you up here and saying, who are the unpresentable parts of your congregation? But I thought, you know, that might not be a wise thing to do. But Paul says, if you think about it, right, he actually says, we treat those parts with greater care. And it might sound funny to put it this way, but think about what those things do And what those things do are very important to your body, right? So having those among us, right, among our church family that the rest of the world deems as weak or useless or unpresentable grows us more like Christ, right? The world may not value them, but we value them, right? What the world doesn't value, we value. They're important to the kingdom of God. Now, another important point is... There really should not be any lone wolf Christians. If you read the New Testament, every Christian is deeply involved in a Christian community, a local church. Right? And uh, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of our reasons for believing that, that every Christian should be involved in a church. We need each other to be complete, not to not be mutant freaks. Uh, Because we help each other grow in sanctification. Uh, Sometimes when I'm in a group discipling, right? We have a discipling group. And I'll point out to everybody. I'll say, listen, just because I'm leading the group doesn't mean I'm the only one discipling. We're all discipling each other. And even though I'm the leader of the group, you're discipling me. I'm learning from you as we have discussions and talk and grow together. So we're helping each other grow, right? Paul writes, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So to be perfectly honest, and hopefully this doesn't sound too harsh, I'm actually suspect of anybody who calls himself a Christian and doesn't belong to a local congregation. Now there are legitimate reasons to be between congregations. Uh, There are some good biblical reasons to leave a church. If the the leadership is teaching um, open heresy, if there's open unrepentant sin by the leadership, Uh, There is a very good reason to leave a church, and that is because your church has sent you out as a missionary to plant a church or to to start a new work in the name of Christ. So that's a very good reason to leave a church. We should celebrate those reasons, right? But sadly, I also know people who have been very hurt at churches and have left them. Um, But we also have to be very honest about something else. There is brokenness in every church. We're all saved sinners by the grace of Christ growing in sanctification uh, so there's brokenness everywhere. And if a, a year or two or more it's gone by and you still haven't connected with the church, um, you know, there might be something wrong. And it might be something wrong with the churches around you that you where you live. But there's a good chance it might be it might be a problem with you. And again, I, I, I understand that sounds harsh, but it's important that you're part of the church, you're know, part of a congregation, a body of Christ. If you don't see the need for the rest of the body of Christ, you definitely need the rest of the body of Christ. Because if you're not connected to a local congregation and growing in a family, I doubt you're really growing much. Now, your one-on-one time with God is essential, right? Time in prayer, reading God's scripture on your own. Uh, now, online, you could probably find you can find great worship, probably better than most local churches can offer. Uh, you can find great messages from great pastors and preachers, probably better than anything I can give you. But even with all of that, if you 're not part of a local congregation you 're still missing something you 're missing the rest of the body of Christ. The only thing sadder than a, a mutant freak is a lone wolf mutant freak. So there used to be this guy who uh, worked out at the gym. He was really strong and muscular, really big guy. And people would spot him as he lifted and check his posture. And they would give him some advice on like lifting better and eating right. And they would encourage him. And he would do the same for them. But then one day, he just decided, you know what, I can just buy some equipment and work out at home. So he got the equipment, he started working out at home. And, you know, a few months in, he just decided, you know what, I'm going to stop working out my legs." because nobody likes leg day, and you know, nobody notices your legs, when you're a guy especially, right? Uh, so, so he just decided, I'm just gonna stop working out my legs, and eventually he looked like an upside down triangle. It was like <laughs> this big muscular guy up here with these little toothpick legs. Um, few more months go by, and he says, you know what, I'm right-handed. Right? I use my right a lot more than my left. I'm just gonna stop working out my left. So he just started doing a lot of one-handed push-ups, a lot of one-handed arm uh, pull-ups, a lot of uh, one-handed curls for the girls. Guys, you have to do the curls for the girls, just so you know. Um, And one day he's walking down a pier, and some of the wood, the plank, is sticking up a little, and he, he trips on it, he stumbles on it, and his one arm is so freakishly huge that he just tumbles to the right, right off the pier. Now, the good news is, he grabbed the edge of the pier. The bad news is he grabbed it with his left and air worked it out in months, so he just fell in the water. He was never seen again. End of story. I think you get my point though, right? We need to be part of the body of Christ. Now there's another problem um, with lone wolf Christians. It's this, if you never had the sense of smell, how do you even know you can't smell, right? Uh, I can't sing. I might be tone deaf. Uh, the only reason I know I can't sing is because I've been around people that actually can sing, right? Um, what if I'm colorblind? How do people figure that out? Proverbs 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Right? The feet can't say to the eyes, I have no need of you, because the feet are blind. right? And the feet would never know they were blind if it wasn't for the eyes. So we all have different gifts given to us by God for different service and activities. And why has God given them to us? Going back to verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Right? Your spiritual gifts are for building up your church family. So let's get into a little practical application now. Um, Eric, you mind putting up that the three circles? Okay, good. seems like you guys can all see that well. Okay, now, listen, it sounds like some of you had taken those surveys where it helps you figure out your spiritual gifts. And to be perfectly honest, this is what I found most helpful for me. Um, This has been extremely helpful. It's very simple. Uh, So I just love sharing this with people because I think it's a lot less complicated and it's a lot more helpful in my opinion. So I don't want to move too far from the mic, I guess. uh, So... Let's put it this way, you got your gifts, which would include your talents and your skills, okay? Then you got your passions, which would be like your interests, and then opportunities around you. So your gifts, again, would just be things you're good at, your talents, your skills, things like that. Your passions are things that get you fired up. What gets you fired up? What gets you excited? Uh, When you read or watch a video, what topics are you interested in? Uh, what do you like talking about or thinking about? Right? And really, just for those two circles, start thinking about those, maybe write them down if you're, you're a person who likes to write things down. Then a real helpful thing is actually ask people who know you really well and say, well, what, do you, what would you say I'm good at? What are my gifts? What, would, what, have, what are my passions? What do I get excited about? What do you find I talk about a lot? It's that simple, right? You ask those questions, right? You think about those things. But essentially, it works like this. Okay, let's just start with opportunities. Let's say all you, all you have is an opportunity. So sometimes there are things that we just need to step up and do as Christians, okay, whether it's uh, loving your neighbor because they need a ride to work or feeding the, the homeless, right? Uh, there's certain things. You might not have the skills. You might not have the passions, but we're just called to do because we're in Christ. Um, you know, our, the, the church I've been with most of my walk with Christ is uh, we don't have a building. We just rent space in schools. So we need a set up and teardown team. Now, I don't know anybody who's passionate about that stuff. Like, oh, I can't wait to get up and just move stuff around. Right. But it needs to be done. So we need sometimes as Christians, we're, we're here to serve. Right. Now, let's, let's say you have the passions and the opportunities, but not the skills or not the, the, the gifts. Okay, so a good example of this is I was a full-time teacher, a high school teacher when I came to Christ, and the church I was in had a very big, you know, high school ministry, and they found out I was a high school teacher, and they said, hey, Steve, you know, you're a high school teacher, why don't you serve with, the, you know, the high schoolers? Now, listen, I, I was very clear. I was like, I deal with difficult teenagers all day. The last thing I want to do is come to church and deal with difficult teenagers. So, so if you think about it, I had the gifts, I had the opportunity, but the passion was just not there. So, it wasn't a great fit. Now, again, us being servants of the Lord, sometimes you might just need to step up, set up, and, uh, step up and serve. So, you might decide, well, I'll, I'll make a commitment for. Six months, right? If they were really desperate, I probably would have said, okay, well, I'll do it temporarily. Like, I'll give, you know. So that's how that works. Let's say you have the gifts and the passions, but not the opportunities. So then the question to ask is, well, how do I create those opportunities? There's something I can go out and do. How do I find those opportunities? And if you simply can't, the next question is, well, what do I do in the meantime until I find those opportunities? But then let's say, let's see, which one didn't we do yet? Let's say you have the passions and the opportunities, but not the gifts. So the big question to ask there is, well, how do I get the gifts? So elsewhere in Scripture, Paul tells us we should pray for the spiritual gifts. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with you praying to God, asking him to give you those gifts but also look for someone to disciple you, to mentor you. People who do have those gifts or talents or skills that you can work alongside with and learn from. So it's pretty simple, right? It's not that complicated and it's extremely helpful. This was extremely helpful for me as I um, just figured, tried to figure out like, where should I spend my time? When should I, you know, uh, you know unfortunately I do not have endless time. I'm sure, like a lot of you, I have kids, I have responsibilities, so I want to use my time wisely. So this really helped me focus on what I should spend my most time with. Now here's the thing. If you're right in the middle then, you have all three overlapping. You have the gifts, the passions, and the opportunities. That's a no-brainer. That's a a go ahead and do it, right? You don't even have to think about it any longer. So honestly, Roscio Christie was one of those for me. I I had the the gifting, I was a teacher, I had the passions. I was a former atheist who felt very strongly that college students needed um, to know apologetics and how to defend their faith. And then uh, Rutgers was right there. I already had a a relationship with someone who ran Roscio Christie there, and they were stepping down. And I was able to step in and... and, um, serve in that way i also think of my brother-in-law matt he um he has a gift for working on cars he likes working on cars and then he belongs to a very large church that actually has a cars ministry where people donate cars they they fix them up and give them to single mothers and families in need so for him that's a no-brainer right the opportunities there the passions there and the gifts so i hope you find this helpful I, i find it extremely helpful and practical You mind going to the next one, Eric? Now, here's the thing, though, is sometimes people get so caught up in trying to find their specific calling, like what exactly does the Lord want me to do or what has the Lord gifted me to do, that they forget about the general calling sometimes. And I'm bringing this up because I found that sometimes people are so wrapped up in trying to figure out what God specifically called them to do, they don't do anything. They just sit around on their hands, but God has given us general callings that if you're a believer in Christ, we're called to do, right? So, um, if if someone asked me something and said, you know, Steve, should I do so-and-so? My first question is like, well, is that in God's will? Yes? Okay, it's within the general calling then, so... So go ahead and do it, <laughs> right? So, um, so what is the general calling? If you don't mind going to the, the next slide. I mean, just a, I mean, this is a sermon within itself, but what's the great commandment, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, what's a great requirement? Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And then what's the Great Commission? Right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right? So, so, again, that's a quick overview of the, the will of God and general calling, but all Christians are called to that. So like I said, my reason for bringing that up is if you don't know your specific calling, it's really not that big of a deal. You know your general calling. And anything you do within the will of God is what we're called to do. So don't get stressed about it. Don't, don't overly focus on it. Sometimes I've known people overly focus on so much it almost becomes a selfish thing, right? And this isn't to be a selfish thing, right? Your spiritual gifts are for the church. So you may not know whether you're an eye or an eyebrow, a big toe or a little toe, a hand or a nose, or an unmentionable part, right? But you do know you're part of the body of Christ. That's certain. And God has called us to build up the body of Christ. So sometimes instead of asking, you know, what is my personal spiritual gift? Really, the right question to be asking is, Lord, what needs to be done that I can do? Lord, what needs to be done that I can do? Let me pray for us. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for redeeming us through the blood of your son. Thank you for making us a spiritual family, for adopting us into your family, making us sons and daughters and brothers and sisters, Lord. I thank you for the diversity you've put in your church, that we can help each other grow, that we're incomplete without each other, Lord. And I pray that we see that, that we repent of any time we've made it about us, Lord. Lord, we ask you just to uh, work in us and move us, to unify us as one body, Lord. Lord, I ask you to help us value what you value. Even those that the world see as useless, Lord, we know you value. We ask that you just build us up as the body of Christ, Lord, together. I pray this for this congregation, my congregation, Lord, all the congregations uh, in New Jersey, Lord. We need you here. We need you here, Lord. So we're asking what needs to be done that we can do, Lord. What needs to be done that we can do. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.